scripture lesson is in the second chapter of the Hebrews letter, the first verse. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence, we are keenly aware that without your power, we have no power, and that without your light, we stumble in the darkness. Dear Heavenly Father, translate the word that you have given us in this passage, into flesh and blood in our lives. Translate it, dear Father, that we might understand it and apply it. In this hour, we lift before your throne the acknowledgement of our needs, of our unworthiness, and yet, Father, the thanksgiving that of all that you have given us and all that you have made us in Christ Jesus. Amen. We pray that your Spirit will this hour do in every one of our lives that thing that each of us needs most. Speak in a powerful way to our hearts. Amen. And may your perfect will, your ultimate will, as it applies to this hour for us, be realized. For we have come to worship and adore you and to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have tasted of freedom I can go where he's leading, for shackles can hold me no more. I have learned of life's essence, and I stand in his presence and sing with my heart, he is Lord. Keep
Aren't you grateful for talent and ability dedicated to the glory of the Lord Jesus? Thank you, John, for blessing us in that. What are you doing with your salvation? I'm making an assumption at the very beginning, and that is that you are saved. And so I want to start with that premise. You are a Christian. You're saved. You have confessed your sins to Jesus. You have asked him to forgive you for the pain and the suffering that he had to endure in order to be able to get rid of those sins. And you have accepted him as only Lord and only Savior. And in the glory of that experience of your repentance and your confession, you know him not only as a name, not only as a historic figure, but you know Jesus as a personal friend, one to whom it is a joy to talk, one a privilege to serve. So let's start with that assumption that you are a Christian, that you possess the gift of the grace of God, which is the salvation of your soul. Starting with that premise, I want to ask the question again. What then are you doing with your salvation? What are you doing with your life because you are saved? What are you doing with the gift of grace that God has given so freely and marvelously to each of us? In this second chapter of the Hebrew letter. A moment ago, I read the first verse. Now I want to read the first three verses in that particular letter. Listen, remember, please, that it's not Ralph McIntyre who speaks the word. It is rather God himself who seeks to have impact, imprint, and impression to your soul. It is his word that we must hear. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? 
These three verses in the second chapter of the Hebrew letter present one of the most magnificent and classic passages that we deal with in evangelism, seeking to win the lost to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How more emphatic can the word be stated? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? But not so long ago, in the study of that passage, I read it in a new light. And God spoke to me in a little different way concerning it. Oh, it's valid. It is true. Just exactly that. To the lost man or woman or boy or girl in this congregation, you cannot escape if you neglect the gift of the salvation that Jesus Christ offers you. But to those of us who are Christians, this passage also speaks a message. For it speaks to us that we have received salvation. We have received the gift of God in Jesus Christ. We are born again. Salvation is ours. Salvation, that past experience of being redeemed. Salvation, the present experience, we are being redeemed. Salvation, in the future, we are going totally to be redeemed in God's own time past and present and future. And so the passage speaks to us this morning then for those of us who are Christian with the question, how shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation that is ours? That means then that if we properly handle the salvation that is ours, that something magnificent is going to happen to us, through us, to others around us, to the world in which we live. If, if we value properly the gift that then is ours, it means something great will take place. If, the other side of the coin tells us then, if we neglect this great salvation, then something tragic is going to happen to us. We are Christians. Oh, our salvation will not be taken from us. Our names will not be blotted out of the book of life. Jesus will not go back on his promise no, those things won't happen, but every day of our human existence that we seek to live in this world, being a Christian, but not living like a Christian, neglecting the salvation that is ours, then we will never, ever fully realize the great potential, the great possibility of all that God has laid out for those of us who are his Anything that is neglected very soon gives evidence of that neglect. Have you ever lived in the immediate vicinity of a house in your neighborhood where the people moved out and for a good long period of time nobody moved in? 
the grass, not cut and trimmed right. Something just begins to look seedy about the house. The windows don't look right anymore. The doors just don't seem to hang right anymore. Something is dirty and blocked about the roof. It's just obvious when a house is neglected. Have you ever seen a neglected child? A child that somehow gives out that impression that he or she is not loved? There's not anybody that really cares whether the youngster's fed or not, or whether the youngster's clean or not, or whether the youngster wears the right kind of clothing or not, or whether the youngster learns to talk properly or not. A neglected youngster soon becomes very obvious to all of us. To neglect something will gradually affect the destruction of that something. To ignore something, to ignore somebody. The kind of games sometimes that husbands and wives play and families play, when things are not going just right, when, when somebody's made somebody else mad and suddenly the whole house becomes like a refrigerator and it, and it gets very cold and the icicle drips, you know, from all the lampshades. And people go through the room, the husband's there and the wife goes through the room, but she never acknowledges his presence or the other way around. Uh, or the kids don't get their way for a while and, and suddenly it's very cold and the conversation's not just right, it's not very normal. Everybody's aware when things are not going right. And God wants us to understand in relation to the salvation, the gift that God has given us, that if we neglect the gift of salvation that we have received, if this gift is neglected, it's going to be very obvious before long. It'll be obvious to the people who are close to us. It'll be obvious to the people we work with. It'll be obvious to the folks we go to school with. It'll be obvious to the everybody. To the neglect of salvation, there is the end product that God is robbed of the glory that's due Him. And we do not go through these days of life fully experiencing the joy that ought to be ours. What then can we do? What are some of the positive things in the application of this passage of Scripture for those of us who are Christians? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, lest at any time we should let them be neglected lest at any time we should fail to hold them as the prize that they are. We must, if we are to live in proper relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ, 
we must stop long enough, fairly often, and take stock of how valuable the possession really is. I don't have any stock, and therefore I do not daily read the stock market quotations in the newspaper. But it's interesting, I have several friends who have invested in various stocks. And uh, nearly before reading the front page, some of these friends and getting any issue of the paper will turn immediately over to the stock market quotation to see the current value of the stock they happen to possess. It is evaluated very regularly. Now, if they're serious about owning stock and investing in some enterprise, they then become interested in the output of that enterprise. And so its value in monetary terms becomes very real. We must stop very often. I want to suggest to you that once a year is not often enough to stop and to examine what we are and what we have and what we have received from God. An annual inventory is not enough for the Christian. I'd like to suggest to you that a semi-annual inventory really won't get the job done. To stop and count whatever's on our spiritual shelves and say, well, this is good, this is bad. Even to do it once a month, we probably would be in danger and probably would fall into that category of neglecting the great spiritual gift that God has given to us. Weekly, of course. More often than that, of course. The Christian who's growing and the Christian who's glowing and the Christian who's living in the fulfillment of the realization of Christ in his life and in her life. The Christian like that is one who starts the day in conversation with the Master. One who approaches the, the eating of any meal in a joy and an appreciation for the gift that has come. I eat out most of the time. That makes it very difficult to try to get on a diet and stay on a diet. That's very obvious when you look at me. It is interesting to note that in eating out almost all the time, the number of people who never pause to thank God for the food. Even a little perfunctory sort of thing, the, 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 the little grace prayer that said uh, at every meal, even that's better than nothing. That's not so hot, by the way, because conversation with Jesus ought to be fresh and alive and different and meaningful. I think it ought to get personal enough that if you don't like the carrots that are there, you say, Lord, I thank you for everything but the carrots, you know. Uh, but personal in our conversation with the Lord. Now, what I'm getting at is this. Somehow or other, I think that those Christians who live constantly in the realization 
of the value of that which is possessed in the heart and the mind and the soul as a gift from God will not do anything except try to the best of ability to give the quiet and the silent but the very positive witness that something is within the heart that defies even description. Jesus called this salvation a pearl of great price. Jesus talked about it as though it were a treasure that had been hidden in a field. Throughout this entire Hebrew letter, there is one keynote word, and that's better. Faith in Jesus is better than trying to obey the laws of the Old Testament. Jesus is better than all of the ministries of the angels or the prophets of the days past. Everything about Jesus was better than everything that went before him. Better is the keynote. We ought to evaluate then, day by day, hour by hour, day by day, hour by hour, we need to evaluate constantly, again and again, over and over. We need to evaluate that which we have received. For in the proper realization of the value of the great salvation that's ours, then it is we will not neglect it. For we do not neglect that which has value to us. Four kids have grown up around my house. Some of them are still trying to do that. You have but to peek into their rooms occasionally if you can manage to squeeze the door open and look around and to see clothes here or there or yonder in places where they should not be. A dress that just uh, a month ago was the most beautiful dress she had ever seen. She just had to have that dress. It's just perfectly beautiful. Dad, that's the most beautiful dress I ever saw. So old dad dug down and bought that dress. And now a month later, it's heaped in a pile on the floor when I look in. The value. We don't neglect the thing that we value. And we will not neglect then the salvation that's ours if we will take proper time to evaluate over and over and over again, constantly, daily, to evaluate the great thing that He has given unto us. Do not neglect this salvation. I think salvation ought to be enjoyed. There's no place in the whole wide world for a long, sour-faced, melancholy-looking somebody far as being a Christian is concerned. The old devil has really won a victory in a lot of lives when he wants folks to be so very pious and never smile. That's not the Christian life at all. Why, there was all the difference in the world in folks who followed Jesus when he was on this earth and the folks who did not follow Jesus. There were the professional religionists of that day they went through all of their forms and all of their robes and all of their ceremonies. And they went through all of the rituals and everything was very fine and very solemn. But when Jesus entered onto the scene, the joy that filled the heart 
of the Christian made him bubble and glow. And a Christian ought to be a happy somebody day by day. Now, does that mean we don't have our troubles? Not at all. Does that mean they're not pits we fall into, everybody else falls into? Not at all. But it means that in the joy of the salvation that's ours, that we have a way then to crawl out of that pit and to realize it's not the final destination of our soul or the way that we're to live. This salvation, this great gift that has been given to us, if we are not to neglect it, then let's make up our minds that we're going to enjoy it. John, the music of the world religiously outside of Christian music is all minor key. It's all negative sounding. It's all pessimistic sounding. It's all kind of a drone. But when you let Christ touch the heart of a composer, then suddenly the music begins to become something magnificent and bright and lilting and beautiful and wonderful so that the soul is stirred. Why? Because faith in Christ, the gift of salvation, is to be enjoyed. To be enjoyed. This great gift of salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If you don't want to neglect, then the salvation that you have the gift that God has given to you, evaluate it, enjoy it, and make up your mind, please, that you're going to assume the responsibility for sharing it. Who told you about Jesus? Can you remember? Who prayed for you pointedly and specifically that you would become a Christian? You remember? Is there anybody that stands special in your spiritual hall of fame who prayed for you when others had given you up and said, I think they need Jesus. I think he needs Jesus. I think she needs Jesus. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody opened the Word of God for you. Somebody preached and shared Jesus with you. Some Sunday school teacher opened the Word of God a training union director showed how the Christian life could be applied and that brought a conviction to your heart of your need for Christ Jesus. Somebody along the way shared Jesus with you. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you go to your grave, and you're going, unless Jesus comes back while we're alive, and wouldn't that be great? But... When you go to your grave or until Jesus comes, if it's in our lifetime, is there anybody else in all this whole wide world that's going to possess the gift of salvation because of you? It's going to be in heaven because of you. Several weeks ago, now not many days ago, Early in the morning, my phone rang. A dear and wonderful friend in Memphis who called to tell me that my spiritual father, in many ways my father, Dr. Robert G. Lee, had died. I began to think immediately about the people, the people that 
he was having a good time with in heaven right then. He died about 3.30 that morning. They called me about 5. And I couldn't help but think that in that hour and a half, all the folks that he had seen, Ms. Lee, whom he loved dearly and had gone home to heaven about seven years ahead, my own sweet Sue, been in heaven nearly four years, I thought about the folks who had struggled and labored and prayed and given and sacrificed arm in arm with Dr. Lee to build the great Bellevue Church in Memphis, who had been right there and welcomed him home. I began to think about all the people where Dr. Lee had gone to their homes and knocked on the door and sat down with them, made some of them mad when he talked to them about Jesus. But he prayed and he talked and he won them and they came to know the Lord Jesus and they had died and gone on home to heaven. I just tried to imagine the great throng of people up there in heaven who were standing at the gate to welcome Preacher Lee home and to say, Thank you, Preacher. Thank you. If it hadn't been for you, I never would have made it. That brings us down to a very personal question. How many folks will be in heaven because of you? How many folks have you shared Jesus with? How many people have you prayed for by name? Oh, we can pray that all the heathen and the pagan and the, the atheists of Russia or China might get saved. That's a safe way to pray. But when we start praying that the family lives three doors down from us and never darken the door of a church and the kids are growing up without Jesus, when we begin to pray for them by name, then things begin to happen. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How will you escape the scowl, the frown, the unhappiness of the Master himself if when you step, as you will, if you're a Christian, beyond those golden gates, to the golden streets and the glories of a place called heaven when you step at last into the glories of that place that he has provided for you, will you have to say to him, I made it just by myself, Lord. Nobody else is coming. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't share. I didn't win a soul. I didn't do much. You see, it's not enough for us to make it. There's something rather tragic about it to say, I'm going to heaven, let all the rest of the world go to hell. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Share it. Take fresh stock of its value. Enjoy it. Tell others about it. And in the doing of that, your Christian self will grow. And you'll be happy. And you'll have a fresh experience every day with the Master. And when at last the hour does come, when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, You'll go with a smile, knowing that you have not neglected 
that you have handled properly, that you have put the proper evaluation to this greatest of all gifts, the gift of your salvation. Bow your head, close your eyes. You who are Christians, you are members of this church. What value do you place on your salvation? Are you any different sort of person this morning because you are a Christian? Are you enjoying it? Are you sharing it? Are you neglecting it? Don't neglect the salvation that is yours freely as a gift of God. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and while Christians, Christians are examining anew and afresh this valuable, valuable thing called salvation, are you here as one who has never put any value on your soul? Jesus put a high value on your soul, high enough that he left heaven in all of the glory and the adoration of the angels of an eternal heaven. He left that. He came to earth. He suffered and at last died on a cross simply because he values your soul so highly. He died for you. He died to redeem you. That's what he thinks of you. What do you think of yourself? Won't you accept him, accept his love, accept his forgiveness? If you'll turn from those sins that made him go to the cross, with his help, he'll let you live above those sins and beyond those sins in the knowledge that you're forgiven. Won't you claim Christ as your Savior? Don't neglect the salvation offer that Jesus makes to you today. Christian friend, you are saved. Christ is your Lord. You live here in Nashville, but your membership's somewhere else. Would you examine your church membership in the light of this passage? How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation you've received? Doesn't Christ want you to be here and active and involved and regular and enjoying what he's given you? Sure he does. And why don't you make up your mind here and now? This is the day. This is the time. This is the moment. We'll move our membership. We'll stake our claim for the master. We'll enjoy the gift that he's given us in salvation. The staff will be here at the front to welcome you and to pray with you and to counsel with you in any way that the Holy Spirit leads you to respond in this moment of opportunity and this is your moment of opportunity hymn number 156 jesus paid it all we'll stand and sing together will you come come now please come jesus paid it all
invitation. I just don't feel like we need to close at this point. And I'm going to ask uh, John to sing a stanza, and I want us to bow our heads and to pray. Pray earnestly. You know, I, I just have a real conviction that the Lord wants to do something in somebody's life. Maybe just one person. That may be you. And uh, I know Dr. McIntyre, forgive me for extending this, but I feel led to do it. And I want us to do it this morning. I want you to bow your heads, and I want us to pray. And if that's you that needs to be down here this morning, you come. John's going to sing. Just one more stanza if no one comes. John? Thank you, John. Be seated. You know, we got.